Best of show. Thanks for checking it out. Appreciate it as always. A lot happened this week, so there's a lot on this show. The Redskins fired Scott McLuhan. Free agency started, and they signed a bunch of guys, and there's a bunch of other stuff that happened, and March Madness, it's Selection Sunday. So uh, all of that covered on the show. Covered with Chris Russell, who co-hosted with me on Thursday and Friday. Brian McNally, uh, Redskins beat reporter at 106.7 The Fan. Uh, Chuck Sapienza, who used to run the other station I used to work for, ESPN 980, and was the executive producer of Redskins Radio for a long time before I got there, but worked with Chris, and we had him on, and he was really interesting, especially what he said about uh, the, the way he describes Bruce Allen. Uh, so Chuck's on the Best Of Show. Daryl Ryder from 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland makes the Best Of Show with some insight on Terrell Pryor and uh, this new money ball era that has entered the NFL via the Browns. Got all that? If not, you're just going to keep listening and you're going to get it all now in full because here's the show. Yeah, here come the roosters. Yeah. I know somebody who ain't making it till tomorrow. on the Scott McLuhan era, which lasted a day longer than 26 months. 26 months ago and one day, the Redskins thought they had their savior. That was roughly three years after they thought they had another savior in Robert Griffin III. That was roughly two years and two months after they had another savior in Mike Shanahan. That was preceded three weeks before by another perceived savior in Bruce Allen. You smell a rat when it's cooking or whatever kind of I don't analogy. think that's how the cliche okay. goes. Maybe that's not the cliche that I was looking for. But when you smell it, you know it. What I, that's what I was trying to say, Craig Hoffman. The point is this whole savior thing has not worked well for the Washington Redskins. Good evening, everyone. This is overtime. Uh, I'm the loudmouth who makes very little sense. Uh, Chris Russell, this is Craig Hoffman. He makes a lot more sense than I do. Vic Ferreira, slink Vic Ferreira on the other side of the glass. We're with you uh, at least until midnight. We'll probably go longer than that. That kind of depends on you at 800-636-1067. Craig's been here all night covering this on Facebook Live uh, on uh, uh, you know, um, on various different outlets. You've heard his updates throughout the Virginia Tech game. Uh, we're going to take your calls. We're going to have some guests stop on by. Brian McNally, uh, I think Grant Paulson will be able to join us at some point, um, perhaps some other people. Um, and we will most importantly get your reaction to the Redskins firing Scott McLuhan. Without further ado, officially, good evening, Mr. Hoffman. How are you, sir? I am uh, not surprised. I think that's that's the best way to answer. Like, if it'd be easy, like you know, that question is I'm good, Chris. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> but the answer the answer really is not like this is not good. No. And and there are this this is one of those things where you go, this there are human beings involved here with real human problems um, beyond just the sports aspect of this. And if there was just the sports aspect of this. It is still a full-fledged soap opera drama, the whole deal. This is, but but it's one of those days when you have to remember in this chair with these microphones in front of us that we're dealing with human beings and with with 
the reporting that uh, Brian McNally has done, which matches the reporting mm-hmm. that, that Mike Jones has done in the Washington Post, um, that Scott McLuhan was fired for cause for repeated abuse of alcohol. Like, that to me is the most important thing here. And to say that I hope that Scott McLuhan is, can, can get his life on track because this is 0 for 3 now. And right. that we're going to spend most of the night talking about the Redskins side of this and uh, the soap opera power struggle, the soap opera of, of all the other soap opera aspects, and the sheer football sense of they just lost the best talent evaluator yes. in football by their own choice. Yes. And, but, but I think to off the top start anywhere other than, hey, Scott, dude, man to man, hope you're good. Yeah, um, I, I've I'd feel wrong not at least starting there. Yeah, we we have to remember that there like and you said it perfectly. There's a football element and the the human element, and nobody, and I mean nobody, should be celebrating the fact that Scott McLuhan is struggling in a lot of different ways in his life, and we're going to get to it all, uh, and that. You know, ultimately, this opportunity with the Redskins, it could be his last opportunity, quite honestly, did not go well in any sort of way. It went pretty well on the field. It did not go well in behind the scenes, um, in the building, when nobody was looking. And that's why you can never, ever, ever judge anything just by what you see on the field. Just by what you see on Sundays. It is a lot more to that. Unfortunately, it's the game of life. um, And there is a lot of politics in that building, Craig, and there's a lot of unsavory characters in that building. Quite honestly, I'm going to say it because I I said it on 980 before you came here and before they got rid of me. (laughs) There's a lot of bad people in that organization. and And they deserve a lot of criticism for how they have handled a lot of things. Yeah, the... McNally just tweeted this, and and I think this is worth pointing out, too. Uh, Redskins Park was the worst possible place for Scott McLuhan to work. And on some level, we all knew that going into January of 2015 when Scott McLuhan was hired. And this goes just beyond the, the, um, you know, the alcohol type things like just from a stress standpoint from from a place where Scott McLuhan could go in and apply his craft and do so effectively without interference to have the maximum level of impact Mm -hmm. going to work for Bruce Allen was not the ideal scenario like we knew that Bruce Allen was power hungry and that Daniel Snyder is power hungry because like we just like to say hey let's let's meddle all right or Daniel Snyder likes to meddle why why does he like to meddle is it because he's bored Mm -hmm. no it was not because he's bored it's because the reason Daniel Snyder owns the Washington Redskins and so that he can do what we all do on Madden. Except for for him, there are real consequences with real people and real money and real games that matter to a lot of people. And so when Mike Jones writes in the post, Daniel Snyder would rather make the playoffs 50% of the time and be involved than be not involved and make it 100% of the time that is the overarching problem in all of this. Yeah. Is that if those two are not involved with all the decision making, they cannot be happy. And that's not what leadership is about. Leadership, and this is, we could pull up the Jessica McLuhan tweet and read what leadership is about because it's actually Scott's wife tweeted out what is a fantastic quote on leadership. But 
leadership is about empowering others. Leadership is about being happy that the people that you put in place to do a job succeed in that job because mm -hmm. that is your job as the leader. Your job is not to do their job. Mm -hmm. Bruce Allen and Scott McLuhan, or Bruce Allen and Daniel Snyder, I beg your pardon, never really got that or don't understand that or don't care. They might understand it and go, eh, we tried it. We don't like it. But when you see Daniel Snyder say, I'm embarrassed at how we are, so I am hiring Scott McLuhan. And then two years later, 26 months and one day later, here we are. It's clear you either, A, changed your mind, or B, were full of crap in the first place. Yeah. And, and I don't and know which one it is, and I don't know that particularly cares. I, I mean, clearly there is there is one face of dysfunction that, that has that has been on top of Mount Redskins for a long, long time, right? Since 99, baby. And, and I, I guess what is the most disappointing, frustrating ang um, thing that makes most Redskins fans angry, and, and, and I, I, to a large degree me, is Bruce Allen was sold as a guy who was going to, you know, be the buffer between common sense, reality, and running a smart sound, technically um, well-oiled football machine and organization, and then Dan Snyder. That's how the bill of goods was sold, right? Right. The problem is is that essentially Dan Snyder hired a mini-me version right. of him with more football pedigree, but not enough football pedigree to basically run the entire organization without a lot of significant help. So they brought in Mike Shanahan. And if you believe Mike Shanahan, from the very get-go, they were ordering trades of Donovan McNabb and meddling uh, in that and all all sorts of things. And then obviously very, very involved in the trade up when Mike did not want to do that. And then things go sour there, obviously the whole Griffin thing. Then you hire Jay Gruden, you force Jay Gruden to start Robert Griffin III, you force Jay Gruden to put him back in the lineup. Jay Gruden wants nothing to do with him. You're being told by many other people in the organization that Robert Griffin III can't play in this league. And finally you cut the cord and you go to Kirk Cousins and you think, okay, now we have a reasonably sane general manager along with we finally cut the cord to Griffin and things start to roll and you think, just when you think, obviously, things are getting better to a large degree, you realize they they probably were never really getting better. It was it was like the odor was masked, if that well, makes sense. Yeah, right? no, at winter, winning masks the odor yes. always. But the crazy thing is, like, without McLuhan, moving on from Griffin probably doesn't happen. Like, there are, there's going to be a lot of last, like, Scott McLuhan did a lot of things that, at least for now, we still credit to McLuhan, mm -hmm. at least based on our understanding, that are going to last guys like Jamison Crowder um, and, and some of the other players that he drafted. We'll see what happens with, with the Suwa Cravens of the world, et cetera, et cetera. But he, he also was a key voice in the Griffin decision by all understanding and reporting that has ever been published. That it was Gruden wanted it, and McLuhan f empowered Gruden, saying like, "I'm with him." Right. He and backed that was, him up. That was a huge, huge deal in moving on. And then, of course, you know, here we are, two years later, and 
McLuhan, up in the air. Or, or up in the air and then gone. Kirk, up in the air, to be determined. And, and we'll see about anybody else that, that was around. Yeah, and, and listen, we don't want to go into too many semantics about, like, you know, the whole Griffin thing. But, right. I mean, what, what you just said, okay. Now, I've been told the different version of that. You know, I, I, I've been told that 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 they didn't that Bruce didn't really listen <laughs> to Scott McLuhan, uh, which wouldn't uh, surprise uh, me you either. Know, uh, about that, okay, that that was Jay Gruden getting his way because he had been standing on the table and and just adamant that he could not work with him anymore. And the injury against Detroit, which I think you had just gotten here at that point. Or yeah, maybe that, was, that, was, that was like my third day right. on the job. So, what a delight that was. Yeah, I, I mean, that was a complete disaster. Now, now look. All right, so so let's reset and let's let's start fresh here. And if, if you're just joining us, Craig Hoffman, Chris Russell, we're here uh, with you on the fan. We just got on, so we've got a lot of you know raw thoughts here that we've both been kind of like bottled up and trying to figure out. Okay, right. what's the best way to present this? So it might be a little just skittish out of the gates. Just bear with us. We'll get to your calls at 800-636-1067, 800-636-1067. In case you're just joining us, about seven fifteen tonight. The Washington Post was first to report the Redskins immediately confirmed it. I, I mean, they had a statement. They had Bruce Allen in a statement. They had an unnamed team official, which we're going to get you. What he said, they reported the firing. Obviously, Brian McNally has put together a brilliant piece of journalism. Yeah. Uh, we both tweeted it out just recently at thefandc.com, and it's on Craig's Twitter, at Craig Hoffman. It's on my Twitter, at WrestleMania621. I have some different details in my piece on dchotread.com. Craig's been here all night doing the Facebook Live and doing the the uh, updates on, on the radio during the Virginia Tech broadcast. So if you're just kind of joining us, just getting in your car, just kind of waking up from whatever, Scott McClure is fired we're not speculating anymore we're not talking about when it happens or if it happens we're talking about it has happened now your first reaction to this is the Redskins did wrong to Scott McLuhan I think that's I, I and I shouldn't say your react I think that's most people's reaction is the Redskins wronged Scott McLuhan do you believe 100 percent that they wronged Scott McLuhan in this particular case? Um, not necessarily in terminating him if what is being reported is true. If there were instances where he was drinking on the job and mm-hmm. the alcoholism was affecting his per- ability to perform the job, he had to get fired. And for the third time, that would be the case. Mm-hmm. And again, couching that with all the ifs necessary because that it, it, it's all reported and it's never been confirmed by the Redskins or McLuhan's side. Although we probably will find out uh, because apparently he was fired for cause, which is a thing that um, would I would imagine McLuhan might fight, or if he doesn't, then that kind of tells you what you need to know. As for how they treated him during this process, that to me is the most appalling part of this. Um, the The unwillingness to treat him with humane empathy bothers me greatly it is what bothers me more than anything else it what it is because i i talk to players and talk to people around the league who have so much respect for scott and his skill and and the man um to go to to exploit his disease disease essentially and to not push back for instance when chris gets on gets on espn 980 and everyone knows that Cooley is very tight with with Allen and Snyder and, and all of management and says what he says and is it is not not even reprimanded anything like that. The it's just that the um 
the team could come out and not even refute it necessarily. Right. They can come out with a statement saying these re- views do not reflect the Washington, the views of the Washington Redskins organization. Like, right. they didn't even separate themselves from it. And so there are multiple occasions and, and hiding him at, at the Senior Bowl and then not announcing beforehand that he was going to be Welcome back. Kind of I number two on the fan Friday night um, with you until so 10 the, o'clock. You just heard from so Craig. I'm Chris steps. Russell. I would guess that's likely to be earned incentives and all that. I don't really care necessarily uh, about how they structure that. Either way, I think it's a pretty darn good. Um, I think it's a pretty good darn good value, and I think it would be anybody would be hard pressed to dispute that. I think he's a fit here. I think it alleviates some of the concern of losing certainly Pierre Garcon, but I think he's a better, younger version. Um, in a way, of, of Pierre Garçon. Yeah. Uh, he's not as good of a route runner. He's not as polished. Here. Maybe he's not as good of a run blocker. I'm not saying, but in terms of what he could develop into because of his frame and right. his speed, and earlier, I, I do want to correct something. I, I kind of said it wrong. I, I said, like, that's not really his game going downfield. Of course, he, he can do that. Yeah. I've seen him do that. What I'm saying is, you know, the further downfield you run, both for a receiver and a quarterback and an offensive line, the longer it takes to develop and the less the success ratio is. So what I'm envisioning is Terrell Pryor to be used on a lot of drags, on a lot of crossing routes, on a lot of little, I don't want to say short stuff that they, but wide receiver screens, that type of thing you mentioned. He can work inside and outside. You put him maybe... In a package where, say, Jamison Crowder maybe is on the height, field. I want a height disparity package. Here's what okay. I want. I want I want uh, Josh Doxson and Terrell Pryor out front. And let's throw Jordan Reed out there, too. And I want a diamond formation. And I want Jamison Crowder to literally hide behind them. And I want them to carry him downfield like a king and into the end zone. All right. What about putting him in the <laughs> Pipe slot? Pipe that one up, Jay. I, I, I don't... I, I don't I love the way you think. What about him <laughs> putting him in the... What about putting him in the slot, having... Jordan Reed on the other side, having, say, Terrell Pryor, like the Redskins love to run that three-by-one formation, right? You have Jordan Reed on the one side. You have Pryor kicked all the way inside on the inside part of the three side with Jamison Crowder and, say, Ryan Grant or fill in your jabroni wide receiver, Maurice Harris or whoever at that point, or in a three-wide receiver set, um, which is typically referred to what as uh, with the one back and the tight end, the eleven package, right? right. Eleven personnel uh, or eleven personnel. One, one back, it, one tight end. Right. Is you can put maybe Terrell Pryor in the slot and draw some of the matchups that the Cowboys were able. Remember the Thanksgiving Day game against Kendall Fuller, where the Redskins mm-hmm. could not stop him because of his size and his speed. Out. Now I'm not saying he's a route runner like Des Bryant, but these are now some no, but of the if things you can, you if you can, can do. dictate a matchup with yes. Terrell Pryor's on your fourth corner, yes. then then you're talking. That's, that's what this offense is about. That's what Jake Gruden is about: is dictating matchups, yes. and it's and it it. 
it's what made Deshaun Jackson so valuable. Yes. You had to pay attention to Deshaun Jackson, and it opened up a lot of other things. Well, that element is going to be gone. The downfield threat, unless, you know, hey, maybe they draft John Ross at 17, and we he's fast. Um, so th- that's, that's not out of the equation either, by the way. Um, I know people go nuts drafting another receiver, but, like, for serious, if they can right. add that speed element back in, I would not be mad for one. Um, but no, even then, you've got still, if Doxson is what we think he is and is healthy, if Crowder is what we know he is, if Pryor is what we think he can be, and if Jordan Reed is healthy, that's for dudes that you can dictate matchups with. And you know, with Reed's ability to play both tight end and outside and to be an elite round runner, this is a guy that beats corners, top corners, good corners by his route running ability. If you can dictate matchups that way, you can get the guy you want on the guy you want. You can get your receiver on the corner that you want. Not to mention you still have, you know, Chris Thompson in the mix out of the backfield. And, and Assuming Jay- that he doesn't get a, a- offer somewhere that the Redskins don't match. Right, and I would be stunned if someone just went nuts for Chris, but it's possible. Um, You know, they have the weaponry to still run this offense like they want to run it. Then, of course, it's the matter of who's going to be the one distributing the football and making the decision, which we'll get to as the night goes. All right. Um, We're going to get to your calls in just a sec, but I I want to... so much fun to talk about football. Can Uh, we do more of that? Right, And and, I mean, there's so much more that I want to kind of, (laughs) like, pick your brain with and talk to you uh, about. I I mean, I think the biggest thing about this... All right, I can't resist. One more thing, and then we're going to get to your question that you asked about a half an hour ago that we still haven't addressed. And then I promise we're going to get back to the phones at 800-636-1067, 800-636-1067. And that is this. Think about this. If Josh Doxson is healthy... That's a huge if. Mm. If Jordan Reed is healthy, and that's a huge huge if. if. If Chris Thompson is still here, that's an if, not a big if. If Kirk Cousins is still here, again, I would say it's... it's Moderately large if. Yeah, but they keep contending that they're not going to... Whatever. If all of those scenarios are there, this team should be a hell of a lot better in the red zone than they were last year. The law of averages also says they'll be better yes. in the red zone last year. But They're I mean, going to be somewhere between where they were, where they were unstoppable right. at the end of 15 and dreadful in 16. Right, but they could be significantly better than they were last year. Oh, yeah. Maybe not as good as they were in, in 15 and a certainly down this year, but they don't may, maybe need to be. But my point is, if they were even moderately better last year, moderately better in the red zone, they're winning 10 games. Well, just think about this, too. In the red zone, the reason it's so freaking hard to score is because there's not a lot of space. Yes. And this this is a geometry problem, but if it's simple enough for me to figure out, I promise all of you can get it. You can't expand the space horizontally. Correct. There's only so much space, and you can pack a lot of defenders in there. The only way to, to create more space in the red zone is up. That's why the fade pattern is called a lot down yep. there. Yep. It's because it's the one area where you can actually create more space. Now you have three guys who are 6'3 or better where Kirk Cousins or Colt McCoy will have options to throw the ball high mm-hmm. and let the receivers go get it, whether it's on a fade or just running around or point. whatever. This is why this matters in the red zone. Size matters in the red zone more than anywhere else on the field because it is the one way you can actually expand the area you have to play in. It's a really good point. When Jay got here, they did not have any receivers over six foot. And now they have Doxon, who's what, 6'2"? 
Yeah, six uh, three. Prior six three. What is prior six? Prior six five. Five. Okay. Uh, and and I mean Jordan six three. Right. And Maurice Harris yeah. is not a small guy no, either. He's right. Big too. He's, what is six three? He's six three six two six three. Okay. He's got so good hands. They've got and you know they've got some size now. And I think that's an excellent point about expanding the the vision and the field vertically as opposed to horizontally. Scott McLuhan got fired, as you know, last night. This can't surprise you, uh, I don't no. think, knowing especially the people that he was dealing with, correct? Yeah, we talked about this the last time I was on with you. Bruce Allen never wanted Scott McLuhan to be hired. This was a Dan Snyder hire after the you know infamous winning off the field press conference. It was Bruce Allen looked like a moron and the and the franchise looked like it was sputtering out of control so dan hyatt said he wanted to hire someone he went to get who he thought was the best person available and you know as far as the talent evaluator he is one of the better ones unfortunately he is an extremely flawed individual and what you do is when you take a flawed individual and you stick them into a dysfunctional situation it's not healthy for either party and that's what I wrote in the blog. It's, it's you know, look, I believe Bruce conveniently waited for the right time to use this as an excuse to, uh, you know, use the alcohol as an excuse to get rid of him. I think Bruce wants the credit. Bruce wants to do this on his own. He thinks he can, you know, do everything, and, and, he's, and he's omnipotent. And if you question his authority, you're going to be gone. And he's done that in, with many, many people. And the thing that amazes me about Bruce that he keeps his job is because, look, people get fired all the time in the NFL, but the, the veracity in which he, uh, he destroys people's uh, personalities, their lives, he just destroys people when he gets rid of them uh, is ridiculous. And, and, I, and I believe that's what that, that happens. You, that, that unnamed source that said everything about him being, you know, drinking on the job and all that stuff. That's just that 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 fits the Bruce Allen M.O. As I've said before, he's more of a political operative than he is a football executive. If you want to run for city council, you want to run for congressman, hire Bruce Allen. You want to win a Super Bowl, run from the man as fast as you possibly can. Chuck Sapienza with us here on Overtime. Craig Hoffman, Chris Russell on the fan. Chuck, if, if the move to hire Scott McLuhan was a Daniel Snyder move, not a Bruce Allen move. And the move worked in that they were winning at a rate they had not previously done so. How did Bruce Allen convince Daniel Snyder to fire Scott McLuhan? I, I think he came down to the to the Kirk uh, Cousins situation. I think I, I've heard from, from people that basically when he came in, when he was hired, they were all in agreement that Kirk needed to have a, a prove it year and that they wanted to franchise him and he wasn't convinced. What they saw was Kirk Cousins throw for 4,900 yards. They saw Cousins get them to the cusp of a, of a second consecutive playoff season with a horrible defense and a mediocre special teams. And at the end of the season, from what I've been told, McLuhan's like, okay, he proved it, let's pay him. And Bruce said no. And the way that Bruce set this thing up was that you could say that McLuhan is in charge of personnel, but Allen was in charge of the money. So if I say, if if McLuhan said, "Hey, I want to sign this defensive tackle. Uh, it's going to take four years and and twenty million dollars," and uh, Allen goes, "Okay, yeah, you're a personnel guy. I'm going to offer him one year and two million dollars, like they offered that embarrassing offer to to Cousins last year." 
It's, it's not going to happen. So in, a, in effect, he's the de facto general manager. He makes the decisions. And I think that caused all sorts of problems. If you read what today, what I believe was, uh, you know, on Twitter, if they said McLuhan wasn't a, a, afraid of getting in Allen's face, challenging him, you know, telling him to F off at times. Uh, you know, you just don't question Bruce Allen's authority. And when push comes to shove, he took a guy who had a track record of, you know, of, of, of alcoholism and used it as an excuse to, to oust him. All right, your latest column uh, titled Scott McLuhan Situation, Redskins Low Point, question mark, sadly no, but the sting, uh, the pain stings uh, plenty is, is is the headline. For those that have not read it yet, um, essentially, obviously we got a taste of uh, all that you're talking about, but you list and chronicle so many of the dysfunctional bad things that have gone yeah. on here and, and, and where this rates. Yeah, this isn't even in the top 15. I mean, I mean, is honest. Everything that I'm reading about people, you know, renouncing their fandom, and I'm never going to another game, and this is it. This is the final straw. Uh, you know, as I wrote, suck it up, snowflake. This is this is not even close. If you've been a Redskins fan your entire life, like I have, 48 years, this isn't even close to the top 15 since since Dan Snyder's owned the team. This is, look, they hired. They took a chance on a flawed individual. Whether you want to believe, you know, some people believe that, you know, the alcoholism was true and the Redskins had to cut ties. Fine. Some people believe Bruce Allen's a bad guy and pushed him off the ledge. Fine. But when you hire a flawed individual and take a chance and you have two winning seasons back to back, you know, and and it just doesn't work out and there's you know personality conflict. That's not. That's it's dysfunctional, but it's nowhere near Albert Hainsworth or Donovan McNabb or the T.J. Duckett trade or you know the the winning off the field, the the, the ball coach quitting from the golf course. You know, I mean, there's so many dysfunctional things that have happened. This isn't even close. You got, I, can I tell you when I wrote this column, the original thing I said is it's not even in the top five. By the time I started making my list, it's not even in the top fifteen. <laughs> That's interesting <laughs> though because. The thing, the thing that I think makes this one interesting, and then you can you can talk about why it ranks lower for you than it might in my mind, is there was real substance here in that there were yep. two successful years, and then yep. the rug got pulled. Like this wasn't a flash in the pan type of thing, um, and and then the character assassination to me like puts this at a, at a different level, and, and the the lack of empathy and the lack of. Uh, just care in in the situation. Like to me, that puts it higher than some of the other things you named. Why does it not for you? Because I just think that for Redskin fans, and I've said this a million times, I am a big Redskin fan. Chris knows this. I live and breathe the Redskins as much as you know they they can be a pain in the neck. I on Sundays. Or whatever. I'm watching the game. I'm watching every play during the preseason. I just can't get enough of these guys. I just want them to win. And I think this one stings more than anyone. I don't think it's as dysfunctional as some of the others, but it stings because we finally got a franchise quarterback. We finally got two back-to-back winning seasons. We finally had a guy that we thought was a talent evaluator that was going to put us over the edge. And in just like everything else, Redskin fans, we can't have good things. The rug was pulled out from under us. It was just a mirage. And, you know, the thing that stings is that we thought dysfunction was in our rearview mirror, and it's not. It's like the uh, T-Rex in Jurassic Park in the side mirror. It's closer than it appears. It's, it's, just, it's right there chasing us down again. You can't escape it for whatever reason. They can't get out of their own way. And we've heard this before. I think one of the uh, – a former writer used this uh, – 
term. I don't want to say Disney because I'm not sure if it was him to give him credit, but it, but it's you know the Redskins can screw up a one car funeral. It's they mess everything up. They can't get out of their own way, and this is another example of that. All right, but Snow- it's not the biggest dysfunctional thing that they've ever done. All right, Snowflake, we got 15 seconds for you, so I got to make this quick. Mike, May- Mike Mayock, yay or nay, as next general manager. It depends. If the if the first ten questions he's asked in the eight hour interview aren't answered, yes, Bruce, he won't get the job. <laughs> I love you, Chuck. Succinct. I like it. I love you too. All right. Thanks. See you, Chuck. Great column. Bye, guys. BreakingBurgundy.com. That's my guy, Chuck Sapienza. I worked with him somehow for five years, and and you both lived to tell about. I it. was going to say we didn't kill each other. Barely. We almost did. We almost barely. Did. We, had, we had some uh, we had some shouting matches. Oh, uh, I've heard. But that's okay. I heard, I heard some stuff. It's okay. You heard word, some stuff. Word, word gets around. Word gets around. God, what kind of <laughs> reputation must I have? I must have an awful reputation. A lovable one. A lovable one? A lovable one. one. Okay. All right. All right. 800-636-1067 is <laughs> the phone number if you want to call this fine radio program. More of your calls next on The Fan. Welcome you back. Good to have you aboard uh, with us. We'll get right back to your calls at 800-636-1067. It's Craig Hoffman. I'm Chris Russell. And now we go to live to Verizon Center where we are rudely interrupting the Maryland Terrapins game. Uh, I thought we were in uh, the safe zone. I didn't realize the game had already started. So we are pulling Brian McNally away from his beloved Terps. But yet he's a kind enough guy, a swell enough guy to join us on the radio for a few minutes. Hello, Brian. How are you? What's up, boys? What's going on? How no are you on this day that Maryland plays at Verizon Center Day, Brian? <laughs> it's a good day. I look forward to it every uh, the three years, probably, day. whenever that happens. There you go. Um, all right, so we got a lot, obviously, to cover in a short amount of time uh, to, to do it. Um, we all know Scott McLuhan obviously fired. The big news that emerged today is that Mike Mayock of the NFL Network uh, is one of the contenders for this position. According to Adam Schefter, Field Yates of ESPN, he emerged as a candidate. A, have you heard anything? One, and two, what do you make of that um, possibility? Yeah, Mayock's an interesting one. I know people are going to tag him with the just he's a TV guy label, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know. This this isn't like reaching out to Mel Kuyper, or Chris, to me anyway. like This, this is a little more... Uh, Mayock, if you listen to his his you know conference calls and a chat with him about football, he's a pretty knowledgeable guy. Uh, he knows um, you know the the draft class up and down, uh, the strengths of of guys you and I have never heard of. He's well versed in it. If you do these conference calls with him, he's not just listing off uh, names of players who could potentially go places. He's listing off strengths and weaknesses what scat what i like about him is he talks to people clearly um you know he's always he's always gathering information so he's not just kind of watching tape and forming just one opinion he's saying you know i think this i've seen this on tape but if you talk to other scouts they see this weakness in a in this offensive lineman other guys like this about it. so i kind of like interacting with him in that way how that translates to a general manager i, I don't know and then even even then, I think he's just a name on a list at this point. I don't know that um, it goes much beyond that. And obviously, he himself put out a statement that kind of 
denied having any official contact with the Redskins. It's kind of a soft denial, to be honest. Um, and then you have to ask yourself, what is the GM role going to be? Uh, clearly, I would hope they're not going to sell it the way they sold Scott McLuhan. It's going to be a um, more of a draft uh, and develop guy uh, than you know have any real superpower or say over the roster. It just wouldn't, you know, trying to sell that uh, to everybody probably wouldn't work. So uh, that's that's my impression of of Mayock even being on that list at first. From a timeline standpoint. When do you think they hire a GM? Are you are you hearing the same things that others have reported that it's not going to be till after the draft? And if so, why would they wait until then? Well, you'd wait for a couple of reasons, Craig. First of all, that that you know we've talked about this a lot. I think Jerry Brewer has written about it. That Scott was essentially expendable, and I don't mean that. I'm trying not to say that in a cynical way, but they didn't let him hire his own scouting staff. He didn't have his own people or allies in the building. Um, he had people who liked him and, and liked working with him, but he didn't have his guys that he went out and brought in. And so you really have some continuity here that you wouldn't normally have in a situation where you fire a GM. You have scouts who have worked for the team since, you know, since Bruce got here, five, six, seven years. You have Alex Santos in place, Doug Williams in place. Scott Campbell has been here, I think, 16 years, right, Chris? Yeah, so, yeah they've been here um, longer than Bruce. <laughs> You can believe longer, it. Yeah, longer than some of these guys predate Bruce. Yeah. So you have a, a level of continuity. I mean, this is the crew that essentially uh, did the 2014 draft with, uh, I believe, Morgan Moses and all those guys. If I'm getting my years correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and and so you have a level of continuity that without a GM in place that you don't necessarily, you can let those guys run it. Uh, the board has probably already been set. Uh, McLuhan, I'm assuming, had his influence is still, his ghost is still uh, applied to that a little bit because he, he clearly put in some of the work in the last couple of months and, and oversaw the scouting staff. So that that's all kind of lends itself to them just kind of going on autopilot and then being able to take their time and hire somebody uh, after the draft. Brian McNally with us live from Verizon Center where he's watching the Maryland Terrapins in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, and we are rudely interrupting that, but obviously a very busy day for the Washington Redskins. Uh, and, and Brian, we can, um, you know, we, we can talk about the GM position as we go through, but there's so many other big stories. We'd be remiss if we didn't ask about Terrell Pryor. Both Craig and I think it's a great value, great deal. Um, cl- certainly he's raw, uh, but you know, he's gambling on himself as we started to see this trend around the NFL with three, four, five different guys every offseason, including the quarterback of the Redskins, gambling, betting on themselves. In Pryor's case, I I, I mean, he, he's taken, I don't know, it, it seems to me like a bargain basement price and gamble uh, for himself to come to a better offense with a presumably better quarterback, right? This, this is a win, 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 win for the Redskins, correct? Hard, hard to see it any other way, Chris. Even, even if we go and say, look, uh, Kirk Cousins isn't going to be here, and obviously we don't know how that whole situation is going to play out. If, if you put Colt McCoy behind that offensive line and the weapons now are Reed, Davis, Crowder, Pryor, uh, who we saw in person when the Browns came to FedEx, uh, had a great first half against Josh Norman, tossed him around like a, like a rag doll a couple of times, just a big physical receiver, uh, so much raw talent there uh, in his first full season as receiver. Uh, and, and then maybe Josh Doxson coming back healthy. Um, you know, it, is it as good as last year's group? Maybe not, but it's probably close. And, 
and you can still kind of dream on it a little bit and, and feel like you're, you're going to have a pretty good group. Um, so I, I think that's uh, the Redskins have kind of salvaged something offensively here. You know, it could have been a total disaster losing to 1,000 yard receivers. And it, again, it's still not, may not be as good. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably confident they've done enough that that should be, you know, one of the better offenses in the league again next year, especially if they kind of figure out a way now to address the running, <clears throat> the running game, excuse me, and, and bring in some, uh, you know, some more competition, let's say for Matt Jones and, and Rob Kelly. So what's next? That's the fun part. Cause I feel like everything that's happened so far from an acquisition standpoint has kind of been what we thought might happen. They're going to have to replace Deshaun Pierre. They're going to make some, uh, some moves on defense. What, whether you know anybody specifically that they're interested in or from a positional standpoint is next for this team as we're only a couple of days in a free agency. Yeah, but even a couple of days, Craig, I'm, I don't know how many impact guys are, are left out there. Right. Um, you know, that that's, that's an issue. So you would like to think they could have pulled one of the defensive linemen and it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Um, you know, one of the top, just go by the, NFL Network or ESPN rankings, someone in the top 40 or 50, um, they're probably going to have to, uh, again, reach a little bit lower as, as they already have to kind of fill that spot. And that's tough because, you know, you lose Chris Baker. Maybe it's kind of a net net loss by bringing in McLean, but, you know, I, that's, that's tough. It's tough to think that they will be able to upgrade it that much more than it is right now. Um, you know, you, you address safety to a certain extent. Um, you know, maybe a depth corner, but maybe you start re-signing some of these lower level free agents of, of your own. Um, like, you know, who knows a John Sullivan, um, you know, Greg Toller, guys like this, that, that will probably linger a little bit in free agency, Ziggy hood, another example. Um, and, and, you know, it doesn't right now, it doesn't look like they're going to bring in an, an impact, uh, defensive lineman. I didn't see. Has Jonathan Hankins signed? Did he resign uh, I or? I didn't hear all? that. Uh, I, no, I haven't I seen his name it, come across yeah. anything. Okay, so he, maybe he's still out there as a target to go after. Right. Um, you know, so that that all is interesting. If they could, but certainly defensively, they have to add. I would think another piece or two uh, to even feel comfortable. And even then, I'm, I'm not sure they've upgraded uh, enough at that spot going into the draft do they uh with the running backs being pretty good in the draft and uh, again it's early on but you have Fournette you have Dalvin Cook and you have other guys uh, like Christian McCaffrey and so on and so forth they don't really need to hit on one of those guys in free agency meaning one of the free agent running backs and Eddie Lacy a LeGarrette Blunt somebody like that right I, I mean they don't need to go there unless they lose Chris Thompson via restricted free agency is do we all agree on that or no yeah, I, I think that's fair, Chris. I, I think that's a totally fair statement that they could, uh, you know, they could kind of look to the draft and, and bring somebody in there. I mean, at 17, you, ideally at this point, you'd want a defensive right. player. Um, but, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. Obviously, we don't know with, with the Cousins trade, it's hard to project ahead. You know, by all accounts, they don't want to move him. And, and um, you know, who knows? That, that situation is going to be bear watching for the next uh, the next six weeks or whatever it is, a month, I guess, uh, until we get close to the draft. But let's say you stick at 17, you know, you're going to add a, uh, certainly one of those, uh, 
you know, certainly a defensive player, I would think. But, you know, you never know who slips. So you could go running back at that spot if one of those top-level guys falls. If you're in love with McCaffrey and think 17 is a bargain, then take him. Um, take him and, and uh, add to a strength. I mean, I, I know people are going to say you have to fix the defense, and you do, but I don't. you're not going to do that in one off season at this point. Um, and, and they need help, but, you know, you need good players too all over the place. So if a really good kind of top-level back falls to you at 17, I, I don't see why you – might not go in that direction too, because that spot could uh, could certainly use some upgrading as well. All right, we got thirty seconds. Scale of one to ten, how worried should Redskins fans be about Chick Hernandez's report that Kirk Cousins won't sign a long term deal with Bruce Allen in the front office? And 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 to put you in a bad spot, sorry. Uh, do you buy that report? Uh, look, where, where there's smoke, there's fire, right? I mean. You know, I think Grant Paulson had said earlier on air um, when that, that came up today that uh, that wasn't uh, a completely accurate depiction, but mm-hmm. Chick is pretty plugged in, and, you know, uh, I, I think it's probably fair to say that, um, that that should be worrisome. I mean, there's enough. We're not just going with the Chick Hernandez report. We're going with the, the Chris Mortensen report and all these different things that, that Kirk – uh, once out, that's ultimately what we're looking at here. Whether that specific report is completely accurate, like I said, Chick is pretty good and, and plugged in. Um, but ultimately, you take all of them together, and the signs point to a guy who doesn't necessarily want to be here. Um, you know, whether the Redskins buy that or not, or think it's a smokescreen or a negotiating ploy, I'm not sure. But certainly a, a tough a tough thing to have to guess at this point, uh, given the position they're in. As you guys both know better than anybody, uh, everything this year is negotiating ploy. So take right. that, take that yep. for what it's worth. And and you, sir, you go back to your Terrapins. They need you. Things have not gone well since you've been on with us. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go back. Thanks, Brian. Good luck, Charm. See you, everybody. Say what? Why is Terrell Pryor here? Cleveland had a ton of cap space. And while I'm pretty excited that that Pryor chose Washington, it would seem that if they wanted to keep him, they would have had the means to do so. But uh, the man joining us now will have a much better answer than I could possibly speculate. So that's why we called him. Daryl Ryder of 92.3 The Fan and Cleveland, their beat reporter out there. Daryl, good morning. I guess at this point, good afternoon, my friend. How are you? Happy daylight savings time to you. Oh, my God. It is just... <laughs> steamrolling me right now um all right so let me let's just go with the question i just set a fourth uh I, and, and kind of break it down and essentially why is terrell Pryor here how how badly did the browns want to keep him um as opposed to letting him go somewhere else like say washington well they tried to keep him they they offered him uh from what i've been told essentially a contract that was very similar comparable to the four-year, $32 million and change uh, deal that they ended up giving to, to Kenny Britt to come to Cleveland from the Rams to basically replace uh, Terrell, but um, that got turned down. Uh, and uh, I think Pryor and the Rosenhaus brothers thought that they were going to get a much larger payday uh, for Pryor than the, uh, the market actually uh, bore out. And um, by the time uh, you know, they realized this, uh, the Browns had already moved on. So from a player perspective, this is a guy who played uh, one year at wide receiver last year, now going to enter year two. How much did he progress uh, at, at, from a skill level at that position to, and, and what is he, what exactly are the Redskins getting? 
Well, you're, you're getting a player that, that's certainly uh, on, on the uptick, at least at the position. Keep in mind, Pryor was catching passes from five different quarterbacks last year here in Cleveland. So, you know, the fact that you have Kirk Cousins down there, uh, I think will will benefit Pryor exponentially. You're, you're getting a, a player that has a, a desire and a passion to win. He gets a little grumpy when the, the team isn't winning, and I, and I say that as a compliment. Uh, he he really cares about the game. He he uh, invested the time, the energy. Uh, if you follow him on social media, you can see his dedication to the game. He's always working out uh, at the team facility. One of the first players in, one of the last players out. You're going to get a player that, quite frankly, is motivated because he's again uh, on that one-year prove-it type of deal in the hope that he's going to cash in uh, next off-season. When you look at as Daryl Ryder of 92.3 The Fan, their Browns beat reporter joins us here. I'm Craig Hoffman on 106.7 The Fan. Um, when you look at prior, uh, uh, not necessarily off the field, but like in the locker room, like what? because we've heard from opponents, for instance, that nobody likes Terrell Pryor, but it's one thing to say when, when you're an opponent. Uh, what, what, how well liked was he in that locker room uh, in Cleveland? I think he was well-liked. Uh, you know, Joe Thomas, uh, Brown's perennial Pro Bowl and future Hall of Fame left tackle, loved Terrell Pryor. Uh, and, and Joe's one of those guys right now. He, he's 10 years into the league. He just <laughs> – he, he he's lost the filter, if you will. So <laughs> if, if, he did, if he did not like Terrell Pryor, he would have no problem making that known. Um, but – uh, Terrell was liked within, you know, the the Browns locker room. Uh, his his passion, his energy, and his his dedication. He was well respected amongst his teammates. It is interesting. He has this reputation of not being well liked or well respected around the league. You had a lot of opponents talk a lot of trash about him, especially after games which was uh, an, an, an interesting development as the, the season went along. But, um, uh, it, you know, it, it, in the heat of competition, I'm sure Terrell had a few things to say on the field to his opponents as well, which may have led to some of the hard feelings toward him after games. But, um, you know, I, I, I did not find a lot of teammates that felt that Terrell Pryor was a cancer or a problem child or a disruptive force within the locker room, not not one iota. Uh, the other bit of news out of Cleveland yesterday that is of interest, or I guess obviously this bit of news was technically out of Washington, not affecting Cleveland, but the, the bit of news out of Cleveland uh, this week that probably is most interesting to a lot of people around here is the release of Robert Griffin III. It happens pretty much with a whimper. It's like, oh, yeah, and Robert Griffin III was released, which is amazing considering uh, where he was five years ago. But what, what in the end was uh, the reasoning that, that he did not stick on with Hugh Jackson? And, and if Hugh is not uh, a believer in Griffin, uh, do you believe that he at this point has another team in his future? Well, I mean, if he has another team in his future, it's probably going to be as a backup and, and not as a starter. But uh, basically durability and lack thereof, um, you know, I, I think was his – Real major undoing. Hugh Jackson was convinced when they signed him that he was going to be the coach that was going to be able to resurrect Griffin's career. That never materialized. In fact, RG3 couldn't even get through one game without getting hurt, which was obviously disappointing. Uh, he was placed on injury reserve to his credit. He came back early from that uh, 
broken whatever uh, you want to call it in his uh, in his shoulder uh, to play the last four games of the season. His best performance came in the season finale uh, uh, against the Steelers that the Browns ended up losing in overtime. But you could see that just when you watched him, it just it, it's not there. It, it really isn't. And, you know, uh, Griffin was everything opposite of what I had heard about him coming from Washington. He was a good teammate, had a great attitude. I will the the one, I guess, if you want to call it a negative was that at times he seemed a little scripted in his comments to the media. He always made sure that he said the right thing uh, and didn't say anything that could negatively make headlines. But outside of that, you know, as a person and a teammate, he was great, but the, the lack of ability to stay on the field and the fact that it just really became apparent he, was, he wasn't going to realize that talent that we saw from him as a rookie with, the, with Washington uh, were the factors why the Browns decided to move on. Oh, no, yeah, they just blew uh, $16 million on some guy named Brock Osweiler that they got from the Houston Texans. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because I love that deal. Not because I think Brock Osweiler's good. In fact, that's exactly why I like the deal for Cleveland is that they apparently have no intention of really keeping him um, because they were in it for the draft picks. And for a team that's not going to be able to sign, like they're not going to be able to spend the amount of money that they have in free agency. There's just not enough good players available, even if they're going to have to pay essentially a Browns tax um, to to sign players because the team is still a long way away, um, even if they're trending in the right direction. I don't know if you think they are or not. I think they are. Um, but but to use that cap space creatively, what's kind of been the reaction there um, to to acquiring the extra draft picks and going with a, a Moneyball-esque approach uh, moving forward with this new front office uh, and Hugh Jackson at the helm? Yeah, I mean, I wrote last week it was an NBA-style trade yep. done by a guy that came from Major League Baseball in the National Football League. <laughs> right. We're to talk about all three sports colliding. Uh, but th- those are the type of moves we've been waiting on, those non-traditional uh, way of thinking. And, and listen, the Browns still have uh, around $65 million in salary cap space. They could sign every top free agent left on the market and still have plenty of cap space uh, left over. But that's what happens when you don't draft well and you don't have any players to give any second contracts to is you, you end up with all this uh, you know salary cap space. And as you put it, the, the Browns tax that they have to pay to get free agents to, to come to Cleveland. I, I love the deal. At first, I was my my initial reaction was, did they not watch any Houston Texan football this year? What are they doing? And then uh, when I talked to a couple people in the, within the organization, explained to me uh, their, you know, their line of thinking. It, it was a brilliant, brilliant trade. And uh, I'm not going to 100% rule out him never putting on a Browns jersey. I'd put it at 99.9%, but until they actually fill the starting quarterback role here this offseason, there's always the outside chance because he remains in the team's control. They, of course, are still trying to dump the contract, even if they pick up half of it. Nobody's going to take a bite at that apple. If Sashi Brown and Paul DiBodesta are able to make that happen, then they, they, they really are uh, geniuses or magicians to, to make that happen. It's similar to the Tony Romo situation. Everyone knows the guy has no future here, so I can't imagine anyone's going to trade uh, for him. But uh, from an intellectual perspective, these are the type of moves that, um, you know, I had expected this out-of-the-box, non-traditional style 
front office to start to make, and uh, they pulled off a doozy on Friday. Daryl Ryder, 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at Right or Wrong. Uh, always appreciate you, my friend. Or, sorry, Right or Wrong, F-A-N. Right or Wrong, F-A-N. Always appreciate you, man. Uh, good, good insight, as always, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk as the offseason goes. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That will do it for this week's show. There will be no next week's show because I'm going on vacation. So if you want more of me, I guess listen back to old episodes or something. I don't know. Or just be patient. Patience is a virtue. And you, you listening, you are virtuous. So I'll see you then. Until then, appreciate it. Leave nice comments. Uh, subscribe. Do all those things. Tweet me, at Craig Hoffman. Uh, email me, hoffmanshow.com. And I'm out of words. Time to go on vacation!